Hi, and welcome to Your Prosperity, a podcast series on financial topics, including tax, wealth creation, superannuation, lending, audit, and many other things that we deal with here on a regular basis at Prosperity Advisors. As with all financial podcasts, any advice you hear in this is general in nature and not to be relied upon. Please contact us for any specific advice. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. It's the 6th of June, 2022. I'm here with Sean Dyer from Prosperity Advisors in Sydney. Uh, we're going to talk to you a bit about checklists for 2022 from an individual perspective. We've done a previous one on businesses, uh, but this one will be just about individuals, whether you're on wages or, or maybe even running a small business in your own name. But for an individual tax return, what are some of the things you can think about to get tax deductions, a little checklist for 2022? Uh, and Sean, thanks for joining us again. Thanks for having me, Brendan. Great, great, great. Um, so, Sean, we've talked about businesses. This is another follow-up one, I guess, just for individuals. What are some of the big ones? Again, I, I assume we're going to start with probably the, the big one that everyone loves. So, super. There's a few yeah. few things to be aware of there. Yeah. I actually might start with a bit. Um, so, even before that, I'm getting a lot of inquiries for our clients that are wanting to lodge themselves outside of agents. So, I thought, you know, you can, yes, you, you can do that. Um, I guess there is a bit of a downside in that you need to have that done by 31 October if you choose yep. to lodge outside of an agent. Um, however, if you if you do choose to lodge through your agent um, and that's done before 31 October, you then would then actually get an extended due date up until May next year. So just something to be wary of. It's just an added, added benefit. You can still still hold your own your own sort of records, but send that through to your agent and then you get the extended. Hopefully that agent's a prosperity advisor, Sean. I think that's we do, right? right? <laughs> <laughs> if not, give us a call. But uh, yeah, that's right. You get that extension through to May or, or maybe March if your income was, was too high the year before, but you definitely get it a bit, bit later than October, which is handy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I guess starting with our expenses, you're right, the big one is super. So the concessional super limits are now 27 and a half grand, increased from 25 grand. Um, so paying your super early, obviously, speak to your accountant check your limits, I guess. Um, there's more information than ever now at the moment. So it is quite easy for your advisor to get a hold to see what your superannuation limits look like in terms of what you've already received from your employers. Um, particularly an issue with clients that work gigs. So if, you, if you've had a few roles in the year, you, you probably don't know exactly how much super you've already been paid. So the last thing you wanna do is to pay more than what you can pay yourself because there is adverse income tax to be paid if you do that. So just make sure that um, if you do plan on actually paying yourself super by June to make sure that you know exactly how much you have left in your super fund limit. Yeah, and that's a good point, I guess, that uh, accountants can actually find that information out. If we are your tax agent, your, your tax agent can find a bit of that information out. You can get some really good data out of the ATO these days. Um, and probably yeah, the one correct. I see is, you know, people, people set and forget. You know, you might... If you're self-employed or you're topping up your super, you might have it, you know, roughly how much you're getting and you set up an amount every month and all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's not 25 anymore, it's 27,500. I can, I can tip a bit more in. And, you know, there's big advantages to that, I guess. If you're, if you're putting it into super, you've got to do it for the long term and yep. you shouldn't just do it because you've listened to a podcast. But uh, think about it, whether you should be putting into super. You know, if you're paying tax in your super fund at 15% or even 30% if your incomes are higher, it's still better than paying... In a lot of cases, better than paying the you know forty seven percent maybe in your own name. So yeah, totally, def definitely worth considering. Absolutely. And there's the um, there's another thing that's been out now for a while that um the, the the carry forward unused concessions. That's that's a really good one that I think it's only been around for a couple of years, but I think it's underutilized. 
It definitely is. And I think it really gives an opportunity for people that don't, uh, that, that are starting to accumulate some wealth and they're starting to really consider superannuation as a vehicle to be able to retire on. Um, so essentially, if your super balance is under $500,000, uh, then you'll, you may be able to go back and use some, some of your previous caps as a bit of a catch-up contribution that you can make. Uh, yeah, so and that's, that's very good. So I guess a worked example of that, if, I, if last year I only put 10 grand in the super, but my cap was 25, and that 10 grand would include SG contributions from employers, but say that was 10 grand and there was, I could have put 25, then this year I can put in my 27 and a half, including SG contributions, but I can also put in that extra 15 that I missed last year. So it's a huge advantage yep. and, and you get a big deduction this year. Yeah, uh, that might be very advantageous if you've got a bit extra cash this year and you meet those requirements. Yeah, totally. It, I think it helps people that have actually made some big asset sales in the year. So if you've sold a property, it's actually a great way to reduce some of that capital gains exposure that you might have to move some of that into your super fund by using some of your some of your unused caps. So again, have a chat to your client. There is there are there could be other aspects of that that could sting you as well, just around your division two nine three. Um, which is another tax that gets hit just based on your, your amount of super and also the amount that you earn. So um, always to, I guess it's always good just to do the numbers so that you're making an informed call on that one. Yeah, that's right. So if your income's over 250 or income, including uh, super is over 250, then you, know, you might be paying 30% in the fund instead of 15%, but yep. you're still probably, still probably better than the 47%. And, and I guess it's that while it's a reasonably new thing, it's been around for a couple of years now, you know, it's, it is something going forward that's around. They haven't announced it's going anywhere. It'll still be around for a while and you can go back up to five years. I think you can currently only go back to 2020, I think it is, or 2019, but it's yeah. but, uh, going forward, you can still use this. So even if you don't use it this year, keep it up there, keep it in your back pocket. You know, if your super's still under that half a mil and you know there's a big lick of income coming next year, maybe this can be part of your planning. As you say, maybe there's a capital gain that you want to try and get rid of a bit and pay a little bit less tax and get some money into super. So yeah, great strategy. I think it's one that's uh, really important. Um, the, the other thing on super probably, Sean, that I know we've talked about before is just the timing of it. It's It frustrates me that in this day and age, we can't transfer money on the 30th of June. I can, I can I use that ASCO, I think I it's called or whatever it is, and it, it appears straight in the bank account within seconds. But I know. if it's through a super fund, you seem to have to give it 15 years notice to get in it uh, takes forever <laughs> you could almost leave it as a bit of an afterthought you know you could you could almost leave it so that you could pay it on the 28th and actually get away with it but it's no longer the case um myob give a five day yeah they allow for about five days in terms of the clearance time from when yeah. from the from when the money leaves you to actually hit the fund and that's when you can actually claim a tax deduction not when it leaves your bank account when your fund receives it yeah, I've seen it take longer than that too. So it's just, I tell people, get it in mid-June. Like it just, you, you end up putting it in on the 23rd, 24th, and all of a sudden it's still not in by the 30th. And you're like, what's going on here? But just one of those things, if you want to get your money into super and get the deduction this year, don't leave it too late. Yes, four or five days should be right, you'd think in this world, but uh, I reckon go for a week at least. It's yeah, one of those things that's a bit wow. crazy. I think just um, on, on the topic of super, Maybe worthwhile to mention that um, you can't create a tax loss individually by paying yourself a superannuation contribution. So um, similar to the way that you pay gifts or say a donation, if you don't have income, you can't force yourself to be in a tax loss by actually paying yourself super or paying a donation. So 
something just to be just to, to be mindful of with with the donations there is a way to elect to spread that across a few years so you're not you're not actually losing out on a tax benefit mm. uh, but not the case with super so if you do pay super with the hope of getting a tax benefit out of it and if you don't have income you could potentially be in a position where you're losing the tax benefit because you can't create a tax loss individually Oh, and 100%. I mean, if you're putting money in a super and claiming it as a tax deduction, when you've only got 10 grand of income where you're not paying tax anyway, exactly. don't pay the 15% of the super fund, put it in as a non-concessional. Spot on. Um, yeah. which, which isn't tax advice to your, your yeah. own situation is <laughs> important. But, but yeah, that's right. So definitely worth talking to your accountant uh, about that. Um, that's right. But what else is that there, Sean? We've, that's uh, super. We yeah, I, a bit of super. But what else can we talk about for individuals? I, um, I get asked about a lot is just so... The clients that are either negatively geared, so let's say if you have like a rental property itself, something that doesn't get spoke about often is um, doing a variation of your pairwise you're withholding. So it's essentially if you if you have a rental property that you pay interest on, you have other expenses. Let's just say the between the interest and the expenses uh, that exceeds the the actual income that you receive, you would typically get a tax deduction for that against your assessable income, and potentially you'll get a tax refund at the end of the year. So um, what you can actually do is you can apply to have your withholding tax on your salary varied downwards so that you're not actually waiting for the refund at the end of the year. So it means that, yes, you see more cash in your pocket month after month on the back of your paychecks, uh, and it could help your cash flow. So if you are if you are struggling to, to either make ends meet or actually service the debt on your actual property itself, it could be a worthwhile option. Yes, you don't get your fancy tax refund at the end of the year, <laughs> which is a bit of a forced saving at times, but just an option to, yeah, just to look out for. You can you can do that yourself or you can do that through us as well. We can do that for you. It's just an application that we put through to the tax office. They send the rate straight to your employer and they'll adjust your pays in future. That's right. And it, it is the old 221. It's one of those things that you can do, but... I must admit, if you're the type of person and you know that hot person that you would spend the money, you're not going to be very good at saving it. Sometimes it is better. I love your, your term there, the four savings. It is a bit like that. And sometimes that is a better option. Uh, and you'll know yourself whether you're a good budgeter or if the money's hitting your account and you're going to use it. Well, maybe if you can get through without doing it and use that maybe refund check to, to, uh, to do other things with, or maybe that refund check comes in and you, that's what you use to pump into your super next year. So That's right. Yeah, consider it and work that's out what's best point. for you. <laughs> That's a great. Um, the other thing you can do uh, talk about that if you've got a rental property, I guess you can, if you want to bring forward those deductions, you can prepay some of those as well, can't you, Sean? Yeah, you certainly can. So you can prepay items like your interest as well, uh, which will which will bring to account a tax deduction in that year. Definitely something something to think about. Um, and that's a timing thing, really, isn't it? So if you've got a bit extra income this year, maybe one of those strategies you think, well, if I can bring my income down a bit this year by prepaying interest. You don't get the interest claim next year because you've prepaid it, so you've already claimed it. So it's it's maybe one of those timing things you look at that maybe you do that because you know next year, or, you know, you're retiring or there's going to be less income or you're going back to part time and you'll be in a lower bracket. It's oh maybe I'll bring it forward and get the deduction this year. So yeah, just one of those little things to to yep. think about. <laughs> um, what else out there, Sean? What else can we claim? What's a good it's tax? Related expenses. Rent? Yeah, we're both, I think in general. If it's, if it's both for work and for private use, just make sure you're only picking up the work-related um, portion. I get, I get a lot of inquiries about if I, if I buy a laptop, what you know, do I get to actually write the whole thing off? Just remember to qualify for a, for a tax claim, you must have one, spent the money yourself, not be reimbursed. 
must be related to earning your income and also you must have the records to prove it. So if you have all of those, it's that's probably a good starting point to be able to bring in about a claim. Most of the expenses that we tend to pick up for clients are around their either their home office or their motor vehicle. So home office, we saw a lot of that on the back of lockdown where the ATO did release their own 80 cents per hour on any, any home-related work that you did. Yep. Uh, but just bear in mind that there are certain other methods that you can use. So there is the fixed rate, which is a 52 cents per hour that you use. Um, and that also, um, it does also cover the, the depreciation cost on your home office and your furnishings as well. Sean, there's a few other things out there. Um, obviously, motor vehicle claims, home office, a couple of the big ones. Um, talk us through those. What are your thoughts on that? I know there's the HOs come out with some, uh, some new, let's call them COVID uh, home office claims we can make. Yeah, yeah. There's been, uh, I might start with motor vehicle claims, actually, because it is something that I'm getting more and more of now, just given that a lot of, uh, I guess, the working, I guess the, the working from home scenario has now moved from um, a bit more of a hybrid model. So more, some more clients are actually making their way into the office. So first and foremost, you can't claim the cost of traveling to and from work. What is a claim is if you are actually visiting clients from your workplace. So if you are required to use a car, if you are required to either see the clients or be on site with a client and you're actually driving from your workplace to the client, that is a, that is a tax deduction. Um, so the two methods of actually picking up a motor vehicle claim, the first one is your cents per kilometre method, which is uh, 72 cents per kilometre, um, up to a maximum of 5,000 Ks. So that, do, that's 72 cents, I guess. That, that's, a, that's designed to cover everything, fuel, wear and tear, maintenance, yeah. the you know repairs, everything on it, I guess. that's, that's a, it's, It sounds very generous, 72 cents, but once it covers everything, you know, there's a... Yeah, it's obviously, uh, and it's capped at 5,000 kilometres. So, yeah. It's capped at 5,000. Now, yeah. best practice, yes, you still need your records, but ultimately you do not need to substantiate that. So you can go up to 5,000 um, with no substantiation records there. Yeah. I guess. And probably the other thing on that is too, is uh, the, as you rightly said, home to work, not a not a work trip. Doesn't qualify, unfortunately. Just the, uh, that's the rules, unfortunately. But there is some carve outs for that for specialty sort of thing. So if you're carrying bulky equipment or things out, there was a, there's an old ruling out for teachers who had to carry in all their supplies at the start of the year. That trip then becomes in it. So there's a bit of a bit of use of that sometimes where if someone is required for their work to carry large bulky equipment regularly with them, then uh, then you can sometimes clarify, classify that as a, as a work trip, which is handy. That's a great point. And actually, yeah, that's a, that is a great point. So you get that with, um, with people that are picking up or either need to hold bulky equipment to actually do their day job as well. So yeah, always, it's probably, probably more designed for tradies who are carrying yeah. big drop saws and stuff like that. It's a bit hard to jump on a train with that on your shoulder. Yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, so what's the other method? That's the cents per kilometre. There used to be a few other methods you can claim, but now it's really just cents per kilometre and logbook. Yeah, so logbook. So for claims above 5,000 Ks per year, um, we would strongly suggest that our clients actually track what their business use is. Um, and it's always a point of, well, I don't have the time to track it. There are so many ways to track your business use these days. There are so many apps out there to mm. help you. It's not as arduous as what it once was, which was literally just a logbook that you have to write down at the end of every trip. Now, you do need to track your usage for a three-month period. Um, and if there's any substantial 
change in the way that you use your card, you're going to need to update your logbook. So your logbooks will typically last for five years unless you, you know, unless you move or unless your dog changes um, the type of work that you do, even if that updates, that could, that could mean that you need to then update your logbook. But if you get, if you've done your logbook, if you know what your business use is, it's then just a process of actually tracking the actual expenses that you've spent on your car. And at the end of the year, you get a tax claim for everything that is then the business use percentage of that. So yeah, that's that's a good point. And and I guess keeping it for three months is quite annoying, but it lasts for five years. So it's it's it takes away a bit of the sting out of it. Um, you've mentioned the apps, but I mean I probably would end up still, maybe I'm a boomer, but I'd still end up using your <laughs> your logbook admittedly. Um, and just one tip I'd give with that is to I've seen occasionally get a logbook through and you look at it and it's just got all the business trips included and not the yep. personal. But you do need to record all of them so you can work out what percentage is actually business and what is personal. I don't need to know where you went on your personal trip. You just need to write down the odometer readings and the kilometres and you know, right. it was 10 kilometres and it was personal. I don't need to know where you went, yeah. but <laughs> it was personal. That's fine. <laughs> um, so, yeah, motor vehicles under 5,000 kilometres, probably best on cents per kilometre. And yeah. logbook, but you can claim logbook even if it's 1,000 kilometres. That's fine. But typically, it's probably when it's over 5,000, you start looking at those logbook ones. Yeah. And also, if you are claiming a car, one of the nasty surprises that most clients have is when they sell that car, it becomes income. So if you do if you do buy a car for your work-related use, you're then starting to do depreciate that car. If you stop using that car or if you sell that car for a new car, then it's essentially treated like a sale of that car. So whatever you get that, so whatever the trading price is or whatever the sale price is for that car, you unfortunately do need to pick that up as income. So um, always best to have a chat with your account before you decide to do either a trading or a sale on that, or even if you stop using your car, that could also fall part of that. That's right. That's right. And depending if it's higher than your written down value and things like that as well on the on the car there. But uh, weirdly, a couple of cars have gone up in value this year, which is a bit of a surprise, uh, particularly the four-wheel drives. Uh, Prado seem to be more expensive now for a second hand than a brand new one. So anyway, go figure. Yeah, go figure. <laughs> uh, what about home office, Sean? We might wrap it up on home office costs. What's, what can we, uh, how can we claim home office? Yeah, so three three main methods that we um, we would use here and advise our clients to look into. The first one is the fixed rate method, which has which has been around for a while. So the fixed rate method being fifty two cents per hour for each hour that you work from your home, and that does cover all the additional running expenses that you incur, such as any of the depreciation for your home office furnishings, um, any of your electricity, your gas, your heating, cooling, and lighting, the cleaning of your home office. Um, so. The good thing about using the 52 cents per hour is that you're also allowed to claim certain expenses in addition to that, such as your phone, your data, the internet, um, including the depreciation of your phone itself, um, Hmm. which you don't get in the next method, which is the shortcut method. So the shortcut method is a simplified method. The COVID method. Yeah, the COVID (laughs) method. That's it. (laughs) So the COVID method was put out there as a a simplified way. Yes, it is more than 52 cents an hour. It's actually 80 cents an hour. Um, But just bear in mind, big caveat on that, you cannot claim any other expense from working from home, even if you've bought new equipment. So if you do choose that method, just bear in mind, it is a little restrictive. But yeah. it also means that your record keeping requirements are a little less as well. So, um, and as you say, eighty cents is better than fifty two cents. But by the time you throw in probably a fair chunk of home internet and the mobile use and other things, it's maybe it's not the best method. I, I probably find most of the time the fifty two cents and being able to claim a percentage of the mobile on home internet 
is, is probably better sometimes than the uh, the 80 cent method. No, totally. I've had that um, at least two times this year in terms of certain clients thinking that they can opt for the 80 cents, but, but in fact, they get more of a tax benefit using the 52. So just yeah. a bit more of the record keeping there does go a long way. And obviously we're talking about running costs there or effectively costs of, of doing that in a home office. That's a little bit different to, I guess, the, the question I sometimes get or quite often get is, oh yeah, I have a home office at home. And what does that look like? Well, if it's, if it's, a, if it's a bedroom that you've got a laptop in, it's not really a home office, a genuine home office. You can make the claims we're talking about here, but some people can go a step further. If they've got a genuine office they use at home that, you know, the ATO rulings talk about having a separate entry and a shingle at the front saying what you do. If it's a proper, this room, dedicated, separate entry, used for, you know, see clients even in there, well, that's a proper home office. Then we're getting into claiming a percentage of the, you know, mortgage repayments or the rent or whatever it is and other costs. So that's that's a whole new kettle of fish. I guess what we're talking about is really just the, I do some work from home. It's in the spare bedroom with the laptop. I've got a desk in there. It's all set up. That's great. But it's not a, you don't get to claim a percentage of your rent just for having that option there. No, spot on. And I think it's really been formed by the home office claim over the years has really been subject to some scrutiny because it's been exaggerated by a lot of clients back in, back in the day when it was first released. Hmm. People thought that it was a way to actually claim their mortgage and, and to claim a lot of their costs if they're doing some work from home. And then the agent yeah. really started to tighten the screws on that. So, um, yeah, always always have a chat with your accountant and your advisor. Um, the I guess the other method is the actual cost. So similar to how we're claiming a car using a logbook, uh, if you do track the actual costs of your home office, um, you'll need to go ahead and actually keep a diary for a four-week period. That's indicative of your home office use, just to show what the usual pattern of your working from home hours look like. So um, examples of, ex of expenses that can be brought to account using the actual cost method, any of the depreciation on the assets that you use for work, any of your expenses for cleaning, your heating, your cooling, your lighting, phone and internet costs, and any of your computer consumables. So mm. um, that could also, if you if you do like to keep a track of, of these things anyway, always best to do a bit of a comparison of all three methods to see which method is going to bring you the best. Yeah, that's right. Um, I appreciate that. Sean, thanks for your uh, couple of tips for individuals and for the, uh, the podcast we recorded earlier on businesses as well. If you haven't checked out that one, jump on and have a listen to that. And I um, hope everyone enjoyed the podcast. Sean, how can they get in contact with you if they'd like to? Yeah, thanks, Brendan. If anyone wants to reach me, you can reach me by email at s-t-h-i-y-a at prosperity.com.au or you can pop onto our website and just hunt me down there. Great. Thanks very much. And on the same, Brendan Campbell, bcampbell at prosperity.com.au. Thanks for listening and hope everyone enjoyed it. Thanks, Brendan. Thanks for joining us for today's podcast. Hopefully you liked it. And if so, please give us a few stars, like and share. And if you'd like to follow the series, please subscribe uh, and pass any information on to your friends as well if they, you think they might like it. For more information about who we are, head to prosperity.com.au and follow the links.